1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, beginning with verse 12. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them in very, very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that no one repays evil for evil, but to seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. As we come to the end of 1 Thessalonians, what is left to say? What is left to say? You ever know how sometimes we have a difficult time knowing how to wrap something up? Some people struggle with knowing how to wrap something up. Frederica Evelyn, let's see if I get the name right, Frederica Evelyn Stillwell Cook, she, she struggled to wrap things up. As far as we know, she left behind the longest last will and testament in history. It was bound in four handwritten leather books, went over 1,000 pages. It included details for every part of her life, including that she did not want her age listed on her tombstone. Now, every article about her tells us that she died at 68. So sorry about how that works. But sometimes we have a hard time wrapping things up. Sometimes I get frustrated with a movie that you know is just finished, but that just keeps going and going and going. Sometimes you can find a conversation that just won't wrap up. You need to get out of that conversation. Sometimes even a preacher doesn't know how to wrap things up. In fact, if you take a look here at 1 Thessalonians, we are in the middle of chapter 5, and Paul said finally at the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 1. He doesn't know how to wrap that up, but he's got these last several things that he wants to mention before he closes out this letter. Now, as I look at this, and since he's this far past finally, I wonder, how did these things get chosen for the last things that he says? How did these verses get included? Because what could have happened is, these are things that could have been left out. He didn't have to include these topics, but he felt by the leading of the Spirit of God that these are things that had to get mentioned, which makes me wonder, well, why didn't they get moved to the front of the letter? Why did they get placed at this spot in the letter? Well, Maybe there were topics that he was putting off. He, he didn't want to get to them yet. He, he didn't feel like dealing with these topics yet. Uh, maybe he didn't find that they were that important, so he kind of put them at the end. Uh, maybe he thought that they were really important, so he wanted them to linger in the air as they finished reading the letter. Now, of course, I can't really know what Paul was thinking in this place, and I can't know what the Spirit of God had shifted and shaped all of these words in this order for. But as I read and as I study and as I look into these verses, I think that he selected these verses because remembering how little amount of time that he had with that church in Thessalonica remembering that he is closing down this letter and he does not know when he is going to see them again 
what he has done is he has chosen these words to say, now these are the tools that will help you to continue to grow in your walk with God. I'm saving these things because these are the things I want to teach you in this letter. But you're not done growing. There are still things that you are supposed to learn. And here are the tools, the ways in which you will continue to grow on your own, even if I am not there. And that's the good news this morning. And that's, that's the great news for us to take a look at this morning. The great news for us this morning is that God grants me the resources to keep me growing even into the next season of my life. God grants me, God grants you, God grants us the resources that we need to keep us growing even beyond where we are right now. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, boy, we, we, we want to keep growing. We, we don't want to live stunted in our spiritual life and our spiritual growth. We don't want to just look back and remember a, a previous season of our life and say, now back then, that's when I was alive spiritually. That's when I was growing spiritually. But Lord, whatever stage of life or stage of our faith we may be in, Lord, I pray that you would grant us a brand new season of growth for our lives in the days ahead. We pray this in your name. Amen. So what does Paul emphasize as these tools, as these resources, so that we can continue to grow spiritually? Are you ready? All right, here's the first one. Embrace your pastors and spiritual leaders. Did you see what this passage of Scripture said that you're supposed to do with your spiritual leaders, those who God has placed over you? He says that you are to respect them and highly esteem them in love. The line forms, no. Uh, <laughs> listen, there's a little bit of awkwardness in being the pastor who preached this passage, this passage of Scripture, but you're going to see that it actually has quite a bit of weight for me, and it has quite a bit of weight for you. But this passage of Scripture says that if you want to continue to grow spiritually, that you need to esteem and you need to respect and highly esteem in love those who God has placed over you. Now, you may be saying, well, do I have to? And you may be thinking, well, not, not my pastor. You don't know the kind of knucklehead that I have for a pastor, if I hear an amen. <laughs> my pastor? you got to be kidding. I mean, I understand someone else who's got a great pastor, but, but my pastor? Now, it makes me think about the church that Paul is writing to. We keep coming back to this theme because I think it's so important to understand that this is a congregation of brand new believers. Paul was with them for a matter of months. Everybody in that city was hearing the gospel for the first time. So somebody in that city is the pastoral leadership of that church. And that person has probably been a believer in Christ three days longer than the rest of the church. He doesn't have a theological seminary degree. He doesn't know all of these things. He hasn't been tested. He is just the neighbor down the street who God has ordained and placed in leadership in the life of that church. He's not Paul. He's the guy. It reminds me of a buddy of mine in Eunice who had been wanting to get into the school system. And he was really wanting to get a job in the school system. So a job came up. And so he jumped at it and he took the job. The job was teaching French. 
And the only thing that David knew about French was fries. So I'd ask David, how's it going? But he says, here's the thing. I've just got to be one lesson ahead of where they are. The pastoral leadership of the church in Thessalonica was wrestling hard to stay one step ahead of the rest of the congregation. I got to tell you that the spiritual leadership of our church, man, we're flawed. We're not perfect. Some of the things that you struggle with in your life, we struggle with in our lives. And one of the things that we're trying to do is that we're trying to make sure that we stay one lesson in front of you so that we can maintain a role of leadership in the life of your church. The Word of God says, respect and highly esteem those who God has placed over you spiritually, even if they're not the most impressive people in the world. So why, why do we need to esteem and respect pastoral leadership and spiritual leaders so much. It's because of the role that God has given them in our lives. I want you to see this in this passage of Scripture. I want you to see, he talks about respect and highly esteem them. He says, because they labor with you. Now, what I want you to notice in this is that, first of all, there is the partnership that's happening here. They are laboring with you. They are walking side by side with you. They are in the middle of it. But this word here, labor, is toil struggle, and sweat. There is an expectation for spiritual leaders. There is an expectation for pastors. There is an expectation for ministry and staff that we work hard and that we sweat and that we struggle. Now, it may not necessarily look the same uh, as someone who's working in the field or wherever it may be, but we show up early, we stay late, and we work through the middle of it, and we study, and we pray, and we do the work that needs to be done. There is an expectation on spiritual leaders that you, that we break a, a sweat, whether it be deacons, whether it be Sunday school teachers, whether it be committee leaders, whether it be staff, whether it be your pastor. We respect and highly esteem them because they toil and struggle in the work of ministry. It says that we respect them and highly esteem them because these are the ones that God has placed over you in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I think probably over the passage of time and across the scale of the world, this has probably been missed a couple times. There are probably some times when this idea of God placing these people over you in the Lord has been used as a power trip. It's been used for small-minded people to act like a big deal. But, but that's not what this is saying. There, there is an element here when we talk about this that it is when it is talking about they are over you in the Lord is that they have a teaching role in your life. That's one of the primary responsibilities of a spiritual leader is the role of teaching in the life of the church to inform you and to instruct you. It also, I think, does include a degree of organizational leadership. If you're going to have church, somebody's going to have to announce what time church starts. Somebody's going to have to say, this is where the church meets. This is how we're going to do it. There has to be some degree of organizational leadership. And a church exists in the same way that somebody has to provide some of that leadership. 
But we also see here that I think that as much as it talks about organizational leadership or teaching role, it also talks about spiritual responsibility. The word pastor is the same word as shepherd. It is a caregiver. It is a person who cares for the health and well-being and life and welfare of the flock that he's been given. And so when this passage of Scripture says that you respect and you highly esteem in love those that God has placed over you, it is to say, I am grateful that there is a shepherd who cares for me. And the pastor needs to see themselves not as the boss who makes all the calls, but as the chief under-shepherd who cares for the health and well-being of the flock respect and highly esteem them because they labor with you because they are over you in the Lord. And also it says, because they admonish you. Because they admonish you. Now admonish, that's a, man, I, that, that's a hard word. What it means is it means a challenge for you to rearrange your life. Now that's not necessarily the people that I esteem and love. Oh, I like that person. They're always telling me what's wrong. That, that, that's not a natural thing, but that is part of the pastoral caring for the life of the flock. It says, listen, these are the things that still need to be adjusted in your life. These are the ways that we need to reshape our life so that we are more like Christ all of the time. But again, the word here is admonish. It is urge. It is to it is to, to challenge. It reminds me of what Paul does here in chapter 2 and verse 12. It says in verse 11, it says, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the role of a pastor. Now, it's interesting. I'm like, well, Paul, even in this passage in chapter 5, he says, I ask you and I urge you. Back in chapter 2, he's exhorting you and he's challenging you in these things. And I kind of wondered how often, and I thought, well, Paul doesn't use the word command. And I kind of took a look at it and said, how often does Paul, as pastoral leader, say, I command you? Well, it's not never. In fact, there are a handful of times that Paul says, I command. It's interesting, they're toward the end of his ministry. He, he may have been getting a little bit more direct as he got older. Anybody know that people get more direct as they get older? Paul may have been getting more direct as he gets older. But most of the time, when he speaks to the church, even from the authority of a pastor, it is of a caregiving, exhort, urge, ask, challenge. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he kind of unpacks this uh, for us. He, he is having to challenge an individual in the church to do something they don't want to do. In fact, the very specifics of this is that this man, Philemon, has had a runaway slave. And Paul says he's sending the slave back to restore relationship. He says, I want you to forgive this man. If he's stolen from you, I want you to forgive him. And I want you to receive him back into your house, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And this is how Paul introduces that letter. He says here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command that you do what is required, yet 
for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. That, that's the voice of a godly pastor. There's a challenge that says, listen, I know that this is the last thing that you want to do, but this is what Christ in you looks like. He says, now I could come with a stick and say, this is what you have to do. But that's not the Spirit of God. That's not the Spirit of Christ. He says, so I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to appeal to you to rearrange fresh segments of your life to be more like Christ. Now that is the kind of person that we esteem and that we highly respect because they will continue to help us grow. If you want to have someone in your life, if you want to be a person who continues to grow spiritually, you have to have people who will care for you, who will organize some things for you, who will work on your behalf, and who will speak truth into your life as it comes from the Word of God. And so esteem your pastors and your spiritual leaders. We also, if we're going to continue to grow, we need to pick up and own your part of the work of the church. If you want to continue to grow spiritually, you need to pick up and own your part of the work of the church. Now, there is a significant role for the life of the pastor, for the ministry of the pastor. But the spiritual growth of the church belongs to the entire community and not just the pastor. Take a look at this in chapter, thir chapter 5 and verse 13. The second part of 13, it says, Be at peace with yourselves. We urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is a word to the entire community. It's not just pastors who are responsible for what happens in the life of the church. If you take a look and say, how healthy is our church? How healthy is our congregation? The health of your spiritual leadership is a significant portion of the health of a congregation. But it is not the exclusive measure of the health of the congregation. The congregation, the body, the community has to be healthy as well, that they own the process of saying, this is where we're going and we are part of this. Notice a handful of things that he points out. He says, congregation, be at peace with one another. It's not always easy, is it? <laughs> it's not always easy to be at peace with one another on a one-to-one -one relationship. And sometimes it's not easy to be at peace with everybody from different groups in the life of the church or having different opinions in the life of the church. But he says, listen, for the well-being of the church, for the growth of the church, for the spiritual development of your life, be at peace with everyone. And then he begins to talk about some other folks. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, folks that aren't doing anything. You could say, man, give the lazy a kicking the pants. It also says, encourage the faint-hearted. It's talking here about people that think they believe and then they don't believe and then they, they, they kind of step forward spiritually and then they step backward spiritually. You see them on fire on Sunday and by Thursday, they, who knows what's going on inside of their life. It says, help the weak, the people that are struggling. 
This passage of Scripture reminds us that in every congregation, I don't know, one commentary said that there are problem children in every congregation. The idle, the faint-hearted, the weak. <laughs> there, there are problem people in that congregation. There are problem people in this congregation. There are problem people in the next congregation that you join. It's just us, and it could possibly be that you're the problem child. It could be that I'm the, the, the problem child in the congregation. But listen, that's what church is. It's a gathering of imperfect people who are seeing the grace of God unfold in their life to grow them and help them to become more like Christ in their, in their priorities and their passions and their purposes, their patterns of their life. But also hear this, and this is really important for the kind of church that God calls us to be. Here at the end of verse 14, he says, be patient with them all. Even the problem children, even those that are struggling, even those who can sometimes be a disappointment. It says, be patient with them all. In fact, woven through this whole chapter and a half, the previous chapter and a half, the word encourage just keeps showing up. Encourage, fortify, build them up. Do what you can to help them grow in every way that they can. Embrace your pastors and spiritual leaders, pick up and own your part of the work of the church. This belongs to you. It's partly you. And then the third way in which we continue to grow is that we pray through each day. That we pray through each day. Here is that little run of verses that are so familiar to us. Here's the context in which we find it uh, here in chapter uh, 5 and verse 16. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How often do we say, Boy, I just really want to know what the will of God is for my life? Here it is, it's right here. Give thanks in all things. Well, is there another will of God? <laughs> is there another choice that's back there? Can I, can I take plan B? The will, of God is to, the will of God is to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every evil, every form of evil. Here we are. We are to rejoice. It's the kind of congregation that we want to be, a joyful congregation, full of rejoicing. We, we are to pray. It says here to pray without ceasing. We are to give thanks in everything. Now, just a quick word here about giving thanks in everything. This does not call everything in our lives good. It says that in all of our circumstances, we find a way to give thanks. Because one of the things that I don't want it to do is, I don't want us to look in this passage of Scripture, and I don't want us to see, oh, if there's an abusive situation, or if there is evil that's poured over your life, that you're supposed to call that good. In fact, this very passage of Scripture points out that there is a difference between good and evil. God is never going to ask you to call evil good. And He's never going to ask you to call good evil. But in the middle of the circumstance... There is a place to be grateful. 
Grateful for the duration of it. Grateful for other seasons. Grateful for the power and the presence of God in that uh, circumstance. Grateful that He can even work and grow me and develop me in the middle of this. You don't have to call it good to know that God's goodness has not been cut off from your life. So we pray, we rejoice, we give thanks. The passage also talks about, all of a sudden is talking about uh, don't quench the Spirit, don't despise prophecy. Now, I believe that saying is that, listen, as important as it is to speak to God, it's important to hear from God. And that's what we talk about, the Spirit. We can't come to become a people where we just pray and we lift up all of these things and then we kind of turn off the radio afterwards and don't listen to what He has to say. Listen, the Spirit of God wants to speak to you. He wants to stir and shape inside of your heart. He wants to speak to you. Whether it be through His Word, whether it be through a worship service, whether it be through the Spirit of God just putting something on your heart. The Spirit of God wants to speak to your life. Don't quench the movement of the Spirit of God. Don't despise prophecy. Prophecy is someone speaking the voice of God, the Word of God into your life. It doesn't have to be about the future. Sometimes it can be just as much about the past. Now it says test it. Don't take every word and take every flutter of your heart and say, oh, that was God. It says, test it. Test it against the Word of God, against the written standard of who the character of God is and the kinds of things that God does and who He is. But walk through every day with prayer and with a listening heart and with a listening spirit to the things of God. So what do we do with all of this uh, this morning? Well, I would say that we recognize, we recognize those great tools and gifts that God has given us, our pastors, our partners, and our prayer. Let me give you a couple of challenges for this week. I want to challenge you to pray specifically in this week. I want to challenge you to pray three different ways this week. First, I want you to pray for something so small it seems ridiculous. If you're going to pray without ceasing, that means you're going to pray for some really small little things. There's a whole list of things that we kind of say, prayer starts here and above. And there's a bunch of little stuff below that, so I'll handle that. Well, I want to challenge you is to take all that, that line where you usually say, I pray for anything that's above this line. I want you to find at least one thing that's below that line. And this week, I want you to pray for that. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. Something that is so small, you've never thought about praying for it before. Because I, I want God to be part of the texture of your breathing and your everyday moments of life. And we need to learn how to pray for small, tiny little pieces so that we engage with God at that place. So pray for something so small, it's ridiculous. It feels ridiculous. I, I want you to pray for something so big it feels impossible. I want you to pray for something so big that it seems impossible. It won't take you long to know what that thing's supposed to be in your life. And then I want you to pray about something that you really, really don't like. 
I don't know what it is. But something inside of your life that you would have the hardest time being thankful and rejoicing in. Again, you don't have to call evil good. But you are to take this thing that makes you grit your teeth. This thing that breaks your heart. This thing that is heavy and that you don't want anything to do. I want you to jab some prayers into that part of your life. Something so small, it feels ridiculous. Something so large, it feels impossible. And just some part of your life that you just wish would go away, I want you to jab some prayer into the center of that part of your life. And then I want to just challenge you about that pastor part. Not about the pastor, but what it means is that you belong to a community of faith that you belong to a place that you grow. I want you to know that even though I am a pastor, I can think my whole adult life that I've had a person in my life that I consider to be my pastor. Woody Gunnels was my pastor in, in Eunice, pastor of a church across town. Uh, Don Pusick is my pastor today. Living with the input and insight of a pastor and being part of a community of faith matters so much. So my challenge to you is, I know you're here this morning, you drove through the rain to get here. That's fantastic. But I would challenge you to share in the faith of this church by making Christ your Lord and your Savior. I would challenge you to make this a part of your regular routine by this being your commitment to be here every single Sunday so that you can receive the benefits of the household of faith. I would challenge you that once you know that this is the church that God has appointed you to be in, that you would make a commitment through membership that says, this is my church. And that I would challenge you to connect to this church in ministry so that you can pick up and own the part of the ministry in this church that belongs to you. Pray and belong in a church. Let me pray for you.